diving into today's episode of Agency Journey, let me tell you real quickly about our sponsor, Aribi. Aribi is a super cool on-one marketing analytics tool. They've got Google Analytics squarely in their sites right now. And I can remember setting up Google Analytics as a sophomore in college and thinking this was just the coolest platform. And as it's matured, it's still super powerful, but it's become so complex to deal with. And Aribi has a value prop totally aside from this. But what I absolutely love about my experience plugging Aribi into Zenpilot.com is I didn't have to mess around with setting up what events I wanted to capture and tracking all my changes. And if I messed up with view, then it would, it would delete all the data that I had. I just plugged it in, it crawled, it captured all, our, all of our events, made it super easy to see our funnel. And it just works. I love being able to see, for example, how many people read the definitive guide to click up for agencies, a blog post that I wrote, I don't know, six months ago. See where those folks come from, how that influences the buying process, the funnel, the way that it works out. So super excited to have Aribi as a sponsor. You can check it out. Go to aribi.io slash agency journey. It's all one word. If you spin up a free trial there, use the coupon code agency journey. Same thing, all one word. That'll give you 20% off any plan, which is super generous of them. And remember, they can track all of our conversions. So, so check them out. Um, that's aribi.io. We appreciate their sponsorship. Let's get on with the episode. All right. Welcome into another episode of Agency Journey. This week, I have the pleasure of bringing Todd Paskey onto the podcast. Todd is an M&A advisor and has worked with a number of agencies. And he's in a little bit different space than a number of the M&A advisors, who at least personally, not through the agency space, but who I've been connected to. Um, where most of them are not focused on agency or the the um, that end of the market. Um, so, Todd, I'm super excited to have you on, dig into your story, and talk a lot today about the path for agencies. Talk about the way to maximize the enterprise value of the the thing that they're working so hard to build. But well, I appreciate you having on. Welcome to the podcast. Excellent. I'm super happy to be here. Cool. So let's let's start here, um, which is quick bio, I guess, in terms of the firm that you're in, how did, and maybe not even bio, but how did you get into the M&A space? You know, um, I, I spent my first 20 years as a financial planner. I was a certified financial planner, and we built a small firm that we sold to a group. That group was later acquired by Goldman Sachs. Um, had a couple people that I knew that wanted some help, and a lot of my practice was uh, uh, around working with and helping entrepreneurs. So there was kind of a natural segue, uh, you know, from that perspective. Yep, that makes sense. So, and then from an agency side, or how did you get into this, the market that you're in specifically, and the types of opportunities that you're focused on now? You know, I um, I think uh, in a lot of business you get attracted to similar type personalities. Yep. Um, you know, agency owners seem to fit largely uh, a, a psychographic and a demographic that it, it maybe matches up with mine. So. I've enjoyed working with those people. I like and understand that business well. I'm fascinated by the space. So, um, and then, you know, success begets success and we go on from there. Yep. So we got introduced originally by um, a good friend, Jeremy Wise of Rise25. And as it turns out, there's some other folks who we've got in common um, in terms of of, uh, shared clients. Um, who we've worked with. And so it's cool to have anytime that there's connections around, hey, here's common people that we know. That was how we got connected to um, one of my friends, Joey Gilkey from Sales Driven Agency, worked with um, a couple agencies where they were crossover and he was kind of consistently producing good results on the sales side. Um, so I was super excited to talk to you today and dig into kind of what you're seeing around agency path. So let's start in terms of the way that agencies build businesses and grow and the exit plan. Very rare. I mean, you, you know, that's 
as well as anybody, but for the audience as well, agencies pretty much come from one of two places. Either someone was in the agency world and they got tired of having a boss who was making all the money, perceived money, and uh, so they go out and start their own thing. Or it's someone who just happened to be talented in one area. They started as a freelance and then decided, I've got more demand here than I want. And maybe intentionally or unintentionally, I thought, well, I need to start hiring people. And there's a lot of accidental agency owners um, out there as well. <clears throat> Nobody goes into the agency business saying, let me build an agency business because that's a really valuable asset to sell someday. Sure. Uh, but, but that needs to get learned somewhere along the way. So um, you were just kind of explaining how you think about the paths for agency owners in terms of building it out. Maybe talk a little bit about uh, how agencies can think about what they've built and the journey that they're going on to maximize. That. Sure. So quick backdrop that I think is important. And we've been doing um, digital marketing transactions for you know several years now. And we've seen this shift of private equity drives a lot of transactions, either directly or with portfolio companies that they add more onto. Private equity understands now because as every, all your listeners know, last year for the first time, we had 51% of all spend was in digital. That's projected to go up. Nobody thinks it's going backwards. Five years ago, private equity would, buyers would say to me, yeah, but when we hit a recession, I don't know what's going to happen to this business. Now, now we have the answer to that, right? Yep. It's going to bounce back quicker than, than any other business. So private equity has religion in this space. Private equity realizes that this is the future of marketing and advertising. And, and so there's tremendous tailwinds from that standpoint. So that that's that should be a great message for all of your listeners. And even the accidental guys, you know, many of these deal trophies over my shoulder are agencies that were very valuable to different degrees. Um, and, and so helping to, to uncover that value. And create that value, I think, is a lot of what you do, maximizing that at the end and doing a successful transaction is what we do. Most of the people we work with <clears throat> have EBITDA, right, net profit, let's call it, between a million and three million, right? So somewhere between a million and three million of EBITDA. And so after you get over the hump of, oh, my God, can we survive? The question for a lot of guys is, you know, what's the best path forward for my business? And as I tell people all the time, the, the, the road from a million of EBITDA to five million of EBITDA is a very well-worn path, right? Lots of people have done this. It is not a straight path by any stretch. And it's not an easy path, right? But, and if you want to go do that on your own, absolutely you should. But one of the things that we represent as an alternative to that is instead of doing that, growing the agency, keeping all of your wealth tied up in the agency, and then spending some of your future income on growing the agency, and all the challenges that come with that, what if we could plug into a place where we could become an important part of their overall solution and participate in the upside equity of that business and get cash at close? And so, for example, Right at the end of the year, we did a transaction. We helped our client, a company called Bayshore Solutions, a very good uh, HubSpot partner. And we sold them to a larger HubSpot partner. And those guys are, are doing tremendous work and will do exciting things going forward, right? We have a deal that should be closing here in the next week 
where we have a, a client that does email marketing for e-commerce customers only. Very nice, narrow focus, right? Fits in this nice box. We put a nice bow on the box and then I can show it around to a bunch of people, right? And what a lot of larger companies are looking for is, is what they would call to complete an arc of services. A lot of people hear this term, a roll-up strategy. And a roll-up strategy is, is not, is not the, I, I think, the right way to think of it. A lot of private equity groups use the term buy and build. So they don't want to buy five SEO agencies to be a bigger SEO agency. But what they will do is buy an SEO shop, pay-per-click shop, content, social, email. And, and so they've got this arc of services where they can manage one client through across all of these things. And, and so what we see is that as EBITDA gets larger, right? So if you're at a million dollars of EBITDA and you have a lot of recurring revenue and you have good client retention, at a million bucks, you could trade for somewhere between six and maybe up to six and a half or seven times on EBITDA. If you're over three million, definitely you're at eight, eight plus on EBITDA. If you get over 10 million of EBITDA, that's a 12, 13, 14 times business. So the way I look at it when I talk to my clients, I just make it up and say you're a million bucks. Let's say that's five and a half, six, six and a half times EBITDA. How can we turn those chips that you have, that equity, into not six times, but 12 times EBITDA? Well, there's two ways to do it. Grow from a million to 10 million of EBITDA, right? That is a lifelong journey. Number two, sell those chips to somebody and take some cash now and then exchange your chips for those chips, right? And so we did a transaction, uh, a group that we have under letter of intent now. The buyer has 18 million of EBITDA. They're a digital marketing firm. They really don't do performance. They don't do performance well at all. And they want, they want more than just one performance shop. So if there's anybody listening that's doing performance that likes the idea, we'd love to talk to them. They will plug into that. The, the kind of the structure that we have for them is that they'll get roughly two thirds in cash and one third in, in equity in the new company. And when that new company, the buyer, when they sell in, uh, I would guess, a couple of years, they'll get cashed out at a much larger multiple. So they get what they get today and then they'll have that second bite in the future. So those are some of the alternatives when you have a business. And I know you spend a lot of your time talking to clients about this. I'm not talking about three or four guys scrambling around trying to serve customers as best they can. I'm talking about people that have processes and accounting rigor and know what it is that they're doing and know who they're doing it for so that they can point to recurring revenue and retention and good customers. Right. I'm going to... Um... Click into one thing that you said there around uh, recurring revenue and retention. Um, when you think of that, so the difference between a uh, 5X and a 6X multiple, what, because that comes up all the time with agencies and you know, HubSpot 
made an awful lot of money by pitching agencies on moving over to retainers and yeah. uh, and getting that recurring revenue. And I mean, the pros and cons. Business to manage, right? Well, yeah, pros and cons of all that. So, what percent in terms of? And I don't know if there's specific numbers, but there's probably some loose numbers that you might have. Obviously, these all work in harmony together. So, just because if you've got high recurring revenue but low client retention, then you might as well do do projects. But right. when you say uh, recurring revenue, is that like what are some good numbers that maybe agencies could be shooting for? Is it seventy percent, eighty percent? Obviously, it depends on the business. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. So there's a, there's obviously some nuance in here, and this is what bankers do, right? Yep. The higher the number, the better. And we've got some groups that we're working with now where they've got almost 100% recurring revenue because yep. that's what their model is, right? Nothing's completely that pure because, especially if you're doing web dev, right, or, yep. or you're enhancing a website. But the key to that is, and, and we will stress this anytime we put a presentation or a deck together, 100% of revenue comes from recurring revenue clients. So we've got these guys that pay us 2000 a month, 8000 a month, whatever the number would be. And those people, we will do web development for. Right. If somebody calls up and says, hey, can you do web dev for us? That's, a great that's point. all we need. The answer is no, we don't do that. Right. right. So there's recurring revenue, contractually recurring revenue. And then there's banker speak for what we call reoccurring revenue. Right. Because these guys, and you know, some clients you can control on your contract and some clients say, we will send you our contract and you'll sign it or we're going to go to those guys. Right. So some of those people, you know, they will come back year after year after year, but they only sign one year contracts or one year engagements. So we'll bill that as reoccurring revenue. And then the buyer will say, well, how long have you had these guys? We've had them for seven years. Oh, all right. Well, that makes a difference than somebody that has renewed once, right? So the higher, the better, always the higher, the better. And that is clearly something worthwhile to adjust your business model to because right. it becomes easier to manage the business when you have as much of it under contract as possible. Yep, that makes sense. And then from a retention side, you know, I come from the software world. Um, where we were building a project management tool for agencies prior to prior to um, kind of the pivot to what we're doing now with Zen Pilot, where we're servicing on top of someone else's software, um, largely. And at the time, I was so discouraged because it was so hard to get churn below five uh, percent yeah. monthly, which is not atypical in early stage software. And services should be more stickier than that. But are there retention numbers and metrics that you're looking at? And is do you typically look at it and present it to PE firms the same way, where it's monthly churn, like in software, or do you? Talk through annual. Yeah. And, and so, so there, and there's a whole bunch of ways to slice that, right? So it's two percent, our, our retention is 98%. That sounds great. 98% what? Yeah. 98% a month. Right. Well, that's 2% times 12 is 24. So you're at like 76%, right? Right. Yeah. But 98 sounds way better. That's number one. Number two, are you talking about revenue or are you talking about logos right. or are you talking about clients? I mean, what, what, what's the measure here, right? And, and I think that you want to present honestly. I'll tell you, we sold a business two years ago, a really good business. We sold it eight and a half times on eBay. They were like three and a half million of eBay. Their retention was not good. And so there's two things. Number one, they offered SEO, they offered pay-per-click, and they were just starting to offer email. 
their retention was so much better when they had two service lines. And for the people that also had email marketing, which was new to them, right? they'd only been doing it for six months, but they hadn't lost any yet. Yeah. So you tie these people in better. So, and you see all these things start to support one another, right? So you have more service lines. What we sold on this, when, and, and it eventually sold to a private equity group, and it's been a great transaction for everybody since. I said to the private equity buyer, there is so much opportunity here. They are, their, their retention can be improved. All you have to do is spend 40 grand on a really good person, have them just follow their 100% job is retention. Right. That number will go up. The value of the company will go up, blah, blah, blah. And this is what private equity does. It's part of one of the chapters of the playbook. Of course, we're going to improve it, re- retention. And if we have to spend 40 or 50 grand, not a problem. We'll right. go do that, right? So, so that is definitely low-hanging fruit to look at. The higher, the better for both. And, and I think the, the message is, because I've sold plenty of companies where I've said, listen, you know why retention's down? You know why utilization is not where it should be? You know what? Because it's hard. When you're a $4 million, $5 million, $8 million revenue company, it's hard to do all these things. Right. If they were part of a $50 million business where you guys have a bigger bench, where you guys have more, all of these things, oh my God, this is going to be fantastic for them. These guys fit into you perfectly. So if you have a weakness, raise your hand and say, this is part of the reason why we want to do a transaction. We've been working at this. We're, we're, I know if we had, if we do SEO, I know if we had pay-per-click, social, and email, we would retain people better. That's a five-year project for us. If we could plug into that and be part of you guys and blah, blah, geez, it'd be fantastic. Yep. Makes a lot of sense. What are you seeing? So that's helpful. I mean, ultimately what you're getting at is LTV, but a specific way that you get to LTV um, between retention and how much of it is recurring revenue. What's the software speak? I guess ARPU, but average client or average contract value. Um, from a margin perspective on these businesses and growth rate? Because I would assume those are two of the other big variables. How fast are you growing? And then how profitably are you growing at the same time? Yeah. Um, so how fast you're growing is not as important, hmm. right? It's part of the story. I've got a couple of groups now that have been flat for the last three years. Yeah. That's part of the reason we're selling, right? It's just understand who you are and sell in. It doesn't make you bad. It doesn't make the company bad. Right. And and I've said many times, you know why they keep doing nine million a year? Shit, they're doing really well. I mean, right. they're they're making 18% or 22%. Both owners are making a bunch of money. They have a boat, they get to go on vacation. Right? This is perfect for you as the buyer. Perfect. Right? These guys will will if you could get rid of some of the 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 distractions for them around running a business and have them focus just on the stuff they're best at, my goodness, off to the races we go. Right. On the margin side, how big a role does that obviously it's gonna impact so yeah, guys, yeah. So a well run agency should be in the high teens, could be even a percentage, could be in the low twenties. I've got a couple now that are in the thirties. <clears throat> Here's an important point. I'm glad I'm glad we're stumbling on this. If you're doing two or three million bucks of EBITDA of revenue. 
you should at, at three or four, you could be doing 35, 40% EBITDA margins. You don't have a CFO. You don't have a head of HR. Maybe you don't even have office space right now, right? There's a lot of things you don't have. You don't just stair step your way up from 5 million of revenue to 10 million of revenue, right? At some point, and everybody knows this, I, I got to hire a head of sales. I got to hire a, a, somebody that can manage the finance function here, right? You've got these important hires along the way. <clears throat> so if you're thinking, okay, the, the, from 1 million to 5 million, uh, it's going to go down somewhere in there. For sure. When I make these investments. And somebody's got to go home and tell my, my, my partner at home that, hey, by the way, we're not doing distributions for two, right? I'm not going to do that. Right. So these are, these are the decisions that you have to make. And when you look out that, that people have made at some. And so that is another kind of vector point to say, you know, we're going to invest in, the, in, this, in these people. We're going to hope like hell the COO and the head of sales that we hired are going to turn out. That is so much more difficult than people realize. I'm sure you see this all the time. And so if it goes perfectly, it's going to take two years for us to start to see the return on that investment and then to get EBITDA to grow from that number. Right. So that's a, that's a big commitment around time. Yep. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I think that uh, an accelerating growth, just like uh, Adam uh, Rundle from Clever Profits will often say, you know, accelerating a business is just like a car. Like the faster, the faster you want to accelerate, the more your fuel efficiency goes down. Your margin's not going to stay the same margin as you, uh, as you continue to grow. Yeah. And then you just sell into that. You just have to, as long as you're aware of it, what to follow on that analogy, if you show up at the, at the shop or at the gas station and they say, wow, how come you're filling up again so soon to say, I don't know. I just ran out of gas. That is not the answer people are looking for. You say, well, geez, I was going 85 miles an hour on the highway. And so my efficiency went down. Oh, geez, that makes sense. I understand. Sure. I, I, I understand why. B, I know you know. And if you're going to be part of my team, I want a guy that knows what he's doing. Right. Right. Yeah. Understands what's, what's going on. Well, this is kind of the perfect um, segue into the piece that we're already kind of getting into it. But talking through, so if I'm an agency right now, I'm at 10 people, we're doing a million, one, two, one, five, maybe, depending on how well run we are in top line, which means, you know, on the, on the bottom side, we're doing somewhere between 200 and 500 and uh, EBITDA. Are there things that those people in those shoes right now should be thinking about from a, I want to tackle this on a couple of different vectors from a corporate structure. Do you care at all about what corporate structure they come into a deal with? I mean, I don't because I'll sell whatever it is. Yep. They do because there's tax efficiency For sure. right, from that standpoint. Most people are set up as an S corp or an LLC. Right. So it doesn't much matter. And with either of those, we can set up the transaction to be tax efficient from yep. either perspective. So, so that part's pretty easy. From a financial perspective, obviously the message is, hey, keep good books and probably get that off your plate as early as possible so that somebody else is mm-hmm. responsible for it. But anything that's tripped up deals or that causes you problems from a financial perspective? You, one thing that, that interesting thing is the concept of deferred revenue. So deferred revenue, uh, uh, explain it 101, right? 
you do a website for somebody and it costs 50 grand to do the website. Somebody pays you, I'll make it real simple, 50 grand up front, right? People don't really do that, but they pay you 50 grand up front. So what do, what do you do? You put 50 grand in the bank. Hallelujah, we just booked 50 grand. This, by the way, happened in November. Gap, generally accepted accounting principles, says, no, 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 because the day you booked it, the 50 grand, you have to go to your balance sheet and put a line item called deferred revenue for 50 because you haven't earned the 50 yet. You haven't done any work. Yep. In theory, you'll earn 10 grand a month for the next five months. Okay. In theory, November and December gets booked to this year. January, February, March gets booked to next year. That's how gap accounting works. Most people I work with say, oh, I understand. I'm not going to do that, though, because it's just way too much work. That's ridiculous, right? right? Here's, here's why it's important. If we're going to close a transaction, following up on this example, on December 31st, and I'm the buyer, there's 30 grand of work that has to be done. Right. And I get no money for that. I have to pay the people salaries to, to, to do the development. That's not fair. So I want the right amount of money for that. Yep. How much should it be? Well, just it's on the balance sheet. It's deferred revenue. So when the deal closes, there should be a line item for deferred revenue. Right. Since most guys aren't doing it, when we get to a deal, there's a concept of working capital. You have to leave some cash in the business. And that makes the amount of cash you have to leave in the business higher. Yep. People get pissed off at that. Sellers get pissed off at that. Right. That makes sense. Uh, what, and it sounds like what you're saying is that's important. It's an important concept to know about the exit at some point, but not necessarily. Is your recommendation, is your recommendation that agencies are practicing that the entire way or just that they're prepared for that at exit? My recommendation is you should be practicing that along the way. Yep. My follow-up comments would be, if in fact you do, you're the only one doing yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Right? Right. So right. Don't worry about that. Should, yeah. <laughs> but be, be, be aware that there will be a concept of deferred revenue. Yep. It'll, depending on your size, it'll be a few tens of thousands of dollars. Right? Right. And, and so here's just the last quick example. Last two deals we closed. We closed on the last day of the month. I'm going to oversimplify this, but the, and these guys have all recurring revenue, right? They do SEO, all recurring revenue. They charge a month in advance. Right. So they charge on the first of the month for the, yeah, the, upcoming. For the entire month. So we're closing a deal tomorrow, the 21st. Most of those people paid on the first. Right. There's 10 days. But there's a month left of work, a week left of work that has to be done. Right. So who's paying for that? Who's paying those salaries? Right. And it gets that granular. Here's a bigger problem. What if you charge a month to start and a month in advance? Yeah, then you're holding on to. Now I have a whole month that I've got in advance that when they quit, I have to deliver work on. Yep. So. Uh, and, and so that's, you know, my one almost an entire month of revenue is deferred revenue. Wow. Right. That could be a really big number. <laughs> yep. Right. But it's, you know, it's just something to be aware of. Yeah. 
big concept. And then I guess the other vector, there's a couple of different pieces here, but from a team structure and management perspective, I'm assuming that you run into situations and maybe you're probably close to the point, but I'm assuming that a lot of, especially on the million dollar side, the agency owners still relatively integral to the day to day. of the Sure. Um, yeah. And by the way, if you say I'm really not, nobody believes that. Yeah. Right. Right. It's just not true. Right. Even, even if you're doing three or four or five million people. Yep. Not true. From outside of that, are there key hires that you've seen um, buyers want to have in place by the time you go to sell? We want you to have someone else who's the head of client services or director of client services. Are there any, any key functions that maybe stand out more than other ones? You know, there, I would say no in terms of key functions. Yep. But what I do want to know is I'm buying this business. You're doing a million and a half of EBITDA, right? You're doing 6 million of revenue, a million and a half of EBITDA. I'm willing to pay a fair price for it. I expect to get a million and a half of EBITDA this year, next year, and the year after. And I expect that number to grow. Right. Tell me how that's going to happen. Tell me how it's been happening. Demonstrate it. Show it. Tell me it's going to continue. Yep. Right. And if, if you've had clients for years, if your retention is high, if you're a best place to work, if your Yelp reviews are good, if you've had retention in employees for a long period of time, right? All that goes to that story. Nobody's perfect in any of those things. And again, it's harder when you're smaller. Just, you know, right. sell into it, lean into it. Yep. That makes sense. And there's so many more questions I could ask. <clears throat> Todd, this has been super helpful. So let's <clears throat> point people, if someone's at that point, they're million dollars, close to a million dollars plus um, of EBITDA right now and curious about exploring the path. Um, what's the best place for them to learn more and reach out? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so Potomac Business Capital is the website. Yep. Uh, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'll spell, spell that right, potomacbusinesscapital.com. Yep. Um, yep. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I'm Todd at Potomac Business Capital. You can send me an email. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I've got lots. You see this over here, over my shoulder. I got a whole other board over here of people that I've spoken with that have said, hey, I don't know that I'm quite ready to do a full process right. where I want to go find somebody. But if you had something like this for me, man, I'd, I'd like to hear about it. And, and we'll spend time talking to them to understand what this really means and, and keep our eye open. Right. Yep. So we're always happy to talk. There's it's, it is very difficult to, to find the right transaction that one of your listeners is going to be excited about. If they're below a million, they're 850 or 950 or something. If they're close, then, you know, we can work that out because they're going to be a million next year in the future. Right. Especially if they're working with guys like you and the others that you mentioned that are really helping them grow their, their practice. So we can show a road to that. That's great. But, um, you know, we're, we're happy to have the conversation, happy to have people connect on LinkedIn and just stay in touch that way and, and grow from there. Awesome. Cool. We'll put that info in the show notes. We won't great. put your email address in the show notes probably. That'd be super. Todd, Thanks. Just so you're not getting a ton of spam. But uh, awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing yeah, your time. Yeah, it was great. Great. I enjoyed it. Thank you. 